Good morning, baseball fans. Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Walk-Off Balk. It is August 25th, 2016. The Red Sox coming off a brutal 4-3 loss last night. My name is Kevin Kim. I am joined by my co-host, Tom Mulhern, as always. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? Pretty good. So, we're going to really dive into this game really quick, but let's just mention that the Red Sox are at 71-55. Um, we're recording right after the loss, so we're a little bit down right now, but that's okay. Um, strong start by Rick Porcello, uh, going 7-2 and thirds. But let's just jump right into it and say that Porcello probably shouldn't have even gone that extra two-thirds. Maybe just that seven innings. Yeah. So basically, for those of you who missed the game, um, Porcello uh, entered the ninth, you know, pitching great, had seven innings pitched, just two earned runs, uh, eight strikeouts already. Um, He comes in for an eighth with 105 pitches logged already. And, you know, so far on social media, we've seen a split. You know, people think that Porcello, mostly the Red Sox beat writers, but uh, some people think that Porcello, you know, could have gone out, which he did for the eighth. Um, and that was a good decision by Farrell because entering that eighth inning, he had retired 10 straight batters. And then there's the other side of the argument that that's too many pitches. It doesn't matter what he was doing before. Once you reach a high pitch count, things start to fall apart. And I have to say that I am a little in between the, these two arguments. I think that it was okay to send Porcello out for the eighth. I think that after he got the first batter, though, he used five pitches to get a, to 110 pitch count. That is very high. The next batter coming up was Evan Longoria, who entering that, the at-bat had 29 home runs. He is obviously a power threat, and Porcello's stuff was starting to not diminish, but, you know, just be used over and over and over again with that high pitch count that, you know, he could make, he's more prone to that one mistake. And I think he should have been pulled before that. But he wasn't, and he made that mistake, and Longoria launched a home run, and the rest is history. What do you think, Kev? Well, I mean, history has obviously shown, and it's pretty common sense that, after 100 pitches, that's like kind of the universal benchmark. After that, your stuff starts to wear down. Batters have seen you already three times in this game. Porcello was going through the fourth time in the order. And we know that the more more times a batter sees the pitcher, the more predictable they get. I mean, it's of, of course, it's a mind game. It's a psychological battle between the batter and the pitcher. But Longoria being a power threat, I agree. Even though he was uh, 0-4-4 to that point, still... You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't leave a guy in there. Home run threat against a home run pitcher in a one run game, especially when Ziegler hasn't pitched for a few innings. Like he's, he's the eight, he's the eighth inning guy. He's mm-hmm. a setup guy. Yeah. And Kimbrel's waiting in the wings too. Why not utilize the players that you have, Farrell? Yeah. No. This is definitely to me. It's kind of absurd, actually, that he waited so long. I mean. Porcello ended with 123 pitches. Even after he allowed the home run, you'd think, oh, you know, lights on, let's take him out. No, Farrell still left him in after the home run, and he got an out, but then he allowed a single, and then he finally decided to take him out, 
uh, and we can get into the rest of that uh, in a bit. But, you know, that just shows a complete lack of faith in your bullpen. Obviously, the bullpen has been pretty disappointing for the Red Sox. But, you know, that's usually when it's the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings, or the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth. Eighth and ninth innings. You know, this is just those two last innings, and you have Ziegler, who has been pretty, for the most part, been pretty damn good for you. And then you have Kim Kimbrell, who was two for, who their batters were two for twenty-eight against him since he returned from the DL entering this game. You know, that's just it's just kind of stupid to not, you know, just put faith in your bullpen. It, even with its track record, I mean, it's the Rays. They're not that. They're not that great on offense. And you know, look at what happened after Porcello came out. They the bullpen had uh, what three and a third innings, and they only allowed one run. And that final run was, you know, it was unearned. It was a terrible play. Yeah, we could so, definitely get into that error, but um, I mean. Red Sox fans have been ripping Porcello all year, and we've seen support from the front office that Farrell will not be out as manager that quickly as uh, fans may seem. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if he keeps making this, this, these decisions, maybe the fr- maybe the front office may have to cave in and give Tori Lavello a chance. I mean, they are paying one point five million dollars to be a bench coach after all, so. Yeah, and it's not like he can't lead the team after seeing what he did last year uh, when Farrell was out with the, the cancer issue. Um, you know, obviously, the Red Sox are still 10-3 and three in their last 13 games, so I'm not waving a huge red flag quite yet. Obviously, Farrell has made some questionable decisions throughout the season, but he's also made some good decisions that, you know, have just been buried because Boston fans are so quick to jump to the negative and say, you know, this guy sucks. You know, screw him, yada, yada, yada. Uh, His Kimbrel not... usage has been very good recently. It has. It has. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see what comes of Boston. But like you said, no need to cut throats just quite yet. Biggest news of the night is a really tragic one for the Red Sox fans. Uh Andrew Benatendi um, running the bases. Uh, looks like he really messed up his knee and his ankle. Tom, you want to talk about that? Yeah, it, it was really messed up. So basically, if you haven't seen the video yet, I'm sure you probably have. But in case you haven't, uh, guy on second and third in the sixth inning or the seventh, um, either or, uh, no outs. Somebody hits a uh, – Dustin Pedroia hits a ground ball to the shortstop. And Benatendi ran on contact because um, because the guy in front of him, Travis Shaw, should have been doing the same, and it should have just been a bang-bang, you know, everybody advanced. But Shaw didn't go, so Benatendi had to dart back. And when he darted back, he went to dodge the tag by, you know, scooching his, his waist back. And, you know, after doing that and getting tagged, he tried to catch himself tumbling, and he, you know, really his ankle went into you know, a 90-degree angle with his shin. So originally it looked like it was going to be an injury or a shin injury. To be honest with you, when I saw it, it looked like a freak injury that, like what happened to Kevin Ware where his shin just snapped. 
thank God that didn't happen. But I guess it's a knee injury. It's a knee sprain. Um, it's re- it looked it looked really bad. And according to these reports um, of Red Sox beat writers after the game, Benintendi's has a really bad limp right now. Uh, it doesn't seem like. Farrell or Benatendi or the players uh, who know about the situation are very optimistic. Overall, it's just really tragic. We really don't want it. This this sucks, man. It's it, it's not only so bad for this year, obviously for the state of this year's team, but Benatendi is part of the future. And seeing him go down like that, it just it's kind of like the your life flashing before your eyes, you know. Tony Canigliaro. I mean, not as bad, but still. Okay, so let's ask the obvious question then. When Benatendi goes down, I mean, we got Chris Young who's come back recently, so he can he can fill in definitely. Um, but it's an unstable situation. Who else do you do you see really getting the work? Well, the bulk of the work at left field. I see, I see Brock Holt just sliding over into uh, Benatendi's spot of the platoon and maybe they'll use them the platoon more obviously i know you don't like that situation i can see we're skyping right now and you're grimacing uh obviously you want to be able to use holt in that utility super utility role where he can you know play any position beside uh pitcher and catcher but this has been the case all season you know what once everybody starts rolling a left fielder gets injured and then two left fielders get injured so it's just they're running. They're running out of options in left field. You know, obviously Blake Swihart isn't coming back. You, I would much rather put Brock Holt in instead of Bryce Brents. You know, I don't want to see Bryce Brents taking time in left field again. It's just, it's just making work with what you have. Obviously, Chris Young can probably play every day, but it doesn't seem like Red Sox management wants to do that. Um, even when he was rolling hot before his injury. Um, I just, I don't see them doing that, so I don't even entertain the idea. Well, looking at the options down in AAA, we got um, Ryan Lamari, who's 27 and has played in a grand total of 27 major league games. Perhaps Marco Hernandez or, you know, Devin Marrero, they could kind of fill the super utility spot, but they're not the most stable guys in the world. I mean, it's going to be an unfortunate... Uh, I mean, you got you got to make do with what you have. Like I said, if well, it's just let's just really hope that Benatendi yes. can come back soon. But given given the comments after the game and given the extent of the injury that we saw, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It doesn't look good. Um, but let's not also forget that uh, obviously he hasn't played short since 2006. But Aaron Hill. You know, he can kind of take over that, that super utility role, um, even though I would much rather see him get way more time than he's getting at third. Um, but he can obviously step up into that role while Brock plays left for a little bit, if needed. Like we said, hopefully it's just, you know, one of those things where it'll be like a week or two tops recovery. Yeah, and don't forget that August waivers aren't over yet, so maybe the Red Sox could pull a August waiver trade for somebody off, I don't know, some some guy off the athletics like Jake Smolinski or Coco Crisp or something like that. That would be a great reunion, Coco Crisp. That would be. Um, yeah, we'll... 
back too. Just get all of them, all of them back in, in that. All of the 2009 Red Sox, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring, let's bring back Dice Cave. Why not? Anyway. Oh, God. Well, let's see what happens there. Uh, this kind of goes into our conversation at third base too. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So, uh, Tom, I know, has a really, really high disdain for my man, Travis Shaw. Uh, Shaw has proven to be pretty lackluster offensively after a strong start to this season and last, even last year, I mean, in uh, around 200, 250 plate appearances. I mean, he put in the work. But the more and more he plays, it seems like he makes so many more mistakes, even today. Uh, he had a little bit of a fielding blunder where there was a ball that that stayed fair to his left. He was playing first base today. Um, and if he just dove for the ball and gave a little bit of extra effort, he would have caught it and maybe gone the out at first. But he he was unable to do that. And Tom, uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, when you said this thing, you know, that's kind of... That's like an understatement. I... I kind of, you know, obviously I respect him as a human being, but I kind of just get disgusted just seeing whenever he comes to the plate and whenever he gets an opportunity in the field. Uh, I mean, he has a decent glove, he has a decent arm, but, you know, this guy, I never really thought that he was going to be a significant talent for the Red Sox. Even when he was killing it last year in the beginning of the season, you know, there was always that, that specific thing about him that, you know, you really can't identify, but it's just, you know, just seeing how he did in the minors before he got called up last year. You know, he was hitting 250-something lifetime in the minors. That's not exactly a recipe for, oh, this guy's going to thrive in the call-up. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. He's hitting 137 in August, 137, and he hit 246 in July. That is, that's really bad. You know, you can't have that at, at third base, especially when Aaron Hill com- comes over. He's not doing that much better. Um, but, you know, he's he at least has that slight advantage in, in the field uh, and the speed and the bat. I mean, he doesn't have as much pop as in power, but I'd rather just a couple of singles, and that just doesn't happen from shot anymore. It really just – it's to the point where I just – I don't want him to have a less role. I want him to not have a role. Except, okay, not not that. I want him to have a pinch-hitting role. And I want, and maybe you can bring this to light a little bit, I kind of want to see if Yomankata is ready for the majors. Well, okay, uh, all right, all right. Lot, lots of that just there. First of all, you know, I mean, of course, batting average, you know, I mean, he's batting 120, but... Overall, for the season, he's still he still has a league average line, which is crazy to me. And value-wise, he's still an average player. But like you said, over the past month or two, he's just been butt. He's been butt cheeks, and like <laughs> butt cheeks. <laughs> you can't do. How can you, how can you fix a guy who just doesn't look comfortable at the plate? Is swinging at every little slider in the dirt, and he's just striking out way too much for a first division winner like the Red Sox. And yeah. Seeing Aaron Hill play more and more, I mean, you you know when Aaron Hill needs to get more of the production at third base, then you have a problem. Now, yeah. going on to Moncada. I mean, Moncada was uh, Moncada just came back from an injury a couple of days ago. Uh, Moncada's 
started the year at a high A. Right now he's at double A. He's still only 21 years old. My, I mean, his batting line is fantastic. He's hitting 285, 386, 563, and he's playing stellar defense at third. Um, since he's moved there, of course. I mean, he's a second baseman by trade. And is he's athletic enough so that he can perform there. My biggest issue is his strikeout rate is still way too high. He's striking out 30% of his plate appearances at double A. Now he's really put in the power. Um, he has double the home runs he did in uh, high A in double A while playing double the amount of games in double A. So a four times rate of hitting home runs if that makes sense for you guys. But if a guy at double A is striking out 30% of the time, when he comes up to the majors, like he's going to strike out like once every two times he comes up to the plate. So if even Travis Shaw, who's going through a stretch, is better than a player who's just not ready for the majors quite yet. And Moncada, he might get a September call-up. He might be a pinch runner, steal some bags. And... Also, Dave Dombrowski has been a guy who's known to call up his top prospects when he deems them ready, like Ben Attendee has this year, like Rick Porcello, Justin Verlander, guys like that. If Dombrowski truly deemed Moncada ready, I think he would have been up by now. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where you obviously, kind of like what you mentioned, you see Ben Attendee, you know, how how well he's done. Obviously, he looked a lot more ready for the majors, and he's older. Um, yeah, and he came than, fresh out of college too. So yeah, yeah, last year. Uh, yeah, so obviously it. Yeah, just last year. But but um, you know, it's just it's. I've gotten to the point where like I I don't think I've smiled in two months since I've seen Shaw come on the television screen. I I don't want to sound like you know, a jerk when I say that, but it's just, you know, just so disappointing to see how he could start off so well. And even though my expectations weren't that high to begin with and, but you know, he's just fallen so rapidly. It's, you know, and before this injury, um, to Benintendi, I was even thinking, you know, why not put Holt in that, uh, platoon with Hill and have Holt be that lefty, um, playing third, with obviously Hill taking the right side. And this kind of, I, I kind of, this will go back to our conversation before for a little bit. I kind of forgot about Rusne Castillo as a potential option to come up and get some time in the outfield. I know, obviously, what we've seen from him in the majors is very, very poor. And everybody has cast him aside and said that he's an embarrassment, you know. That amount of money should never have been spent on him, but he's doing decently in the in the minors right now. Uh, from what I've from the reports I've read, he's starting to get better at reading those off uh, off speed pitches, which has really been his problem in the majors. Is he hasn't been able to pick up that curve. He hasn't been able to pick up you know any of those off speed pitches um, or those breaking balls, and that's why he would strike out so much, and that's why he struggled. But Based off what I read, he hasn't mastered it to the point where he can, you know, thrive at the majors. But, you know, maybe throwing him to the mix for, a, you know, a couple at-bats just to see what it's like. I don't think well, that would be too bad of a I mean, a couple of things to say. 
I want to mention Castillo first, because you just mentioned him. Right now, Castillo has 91 games in AAA this year. He has an on-base percentage of 310 and a slugging percentage of 350. That is pretty crappy. That is in fourth outfield material for me. Fifth outfielder, maybe a fourth outfielder on a non-winning team. On the Red Sox, it just doesn't seem like there's really an option for him. Even somebody like Ryan Lamar or, hell, even a platoon with Brock Holt and Chris Young would be more effective. Jeez. And, like, just from a statistical standpoint. And it's not like his his peripheral stats aren't really backing him up either. He's not hitting for power. Um, he, he does make a lot of contact, but his batting average on balls in play is 303. Which means... But he's still batting 259. Which means he's grounding into a lot of ground balls that he can't run out. And he's hitting a lot of infield fly balls. We don't want a vacuum like that on the Red Sox team. And, you know, maybe he plays really good defense. So, best case option, maybe trade him in waivers. Maybe he goes to revocable waivers. I mean, well, he definitely will. Maybe if the Red Sox can trade him away from for somebody better. And the other thing about Shaw, I know you're not a fan of him. And I agree, but since August, since August 2nd, he didn't play August 1st, he's had a batting average of balls in play of 147. If the, if the batting average of balls in play kind of regresses out to the norm, maybe we can see more of a pro- offensive production from Shaw. And maybe his batting average won't be a 137 like we see. Maybe it'll be more of a 237. And since Shaw has power, I mean, he could be slugging 400, 450. And if that happens, I mean, we can't really complain that kind of production from him, you know? How how long are we going to wait on this, though? You know, it, it feels like I've been waiting for two months for him to get back on track. Well, here's the thing. Even though Travis Shaw has a batting average of balls in play of 147, there's other stats like his power is up there. He's walking quite a bit. He's striking out... 25% of the time, which is kind of normal for him. So, over, like, all of his lines are the same, except for the batting average and balls in play. So, just from a law of large numbers perspective, if we continue if, if we continue to see Travis Shaw get consistent at bats, we're just likely to see him regress back to the norm and become better. But, at the same time, I understand the frustration. My proposal is, you know, have patience. See, I think best case scenario with dealing with Shaw is just decrease his role and give Hill more time. Because Hill was an everyday starter with the Brewers, and he was doing just fine. You know, obviously he hasn't been amazing for the Red Sox, but at this point, I, I really see anything better than Shaw. I know, I know, obviously you want to be patient, and, you know, I preach all the time how Red Sox fans aren't patient enough, and, you know... Here I am saying how impatient I am with this. But it's just, it it seems like it's been forever. You know, it's been two months. I think it's time to give him less time. Give him the Clay Buckholz treatment. Reduce his role significantly. And if he shows in time that he's willing to, or not willing, but ready to contribute again, then you can increase his role again. But, I, I mean, hey, Shaw has double the war of Hill. And the same amount of plate appearances, even over this year. So, you know, I I mean, I understand the frustration, you know. There's definitely yeah. an emotional connection to Shaw 
not being able to feel the simple ground ball and him striking out every other at bat or what it seems like it. Uh, if if he rides it out, he'll do just fine. The question is, will John Farrell keep on playing him like that? My hope is he does keep playing. Uh, Farrell does keep playing him, and Shaw comes back. You don't think the same, Tom? No. We'll have to disagree, but we'll just see what happens. Yeah, that's all we can do, really. That's all we can really do. All right. So, uh, anything else you want to talk about for the podcast, Tom? Quick shout out to one of my one of my all time favorite Red Sox, uh, David Ortiz. You know he just hit his thirtieth home run uh, of the season in the very first inning of last night's game, giving him thirty home runs, obviously, and a hundred RBI, which is his tenth time in his career accomplishing that feat. And this is the fourth straight season that he's done that. And within that home within this uh, occurrence, he also Broke the record for the most home runs in a single season by a player above 40. And he just continues to trudge his way into the argument of, you know, how he should be a Hall of Famer. But that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about Ortiz and the Hall of Fame in another episode. Congrats to Ortiz. I believe he surpassed Raul Ibanez in that crazy season he had with the Mariners for most home runs for an age 40 season. So... Uh, you know, always great to see Big Poppy putting in the work. Uh, he's hobbling, he's hobbling, but he's still producing. So, just love having him on the team, obviously. Oh, and yeah, it looks like that's going to be it for this episode of The Walk Off Buck. Thank you for listening, as always. Uh, be sure to, of course, check us out on Twitter at Pod. Subscribe to The Walk Off Buck on iTunes. This is Kevin Kim. My name's Tom Mulhern. And we will be back with you guys tomorrow morning. See you later. Adios.